More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. Okay, winter is on the way. And if you listen to this show, you know there's only one product that I absolutely rely on when I get a sore throat or a scratchy throat. And that's the delicious Pine Brothers Softish Throat Drops. Now, it's the only throat drop that is ranked number one in throat coating action. Number one. And I mean, you can literally feel it, that coating of your throat with their gum acacia, their plant glycerin, and of course, their delicious natural flavors. Now, they're amazing. My favorite is wild cherry and licorice. I also love the honey and licorice. Now, I've turned a lot of people onto Pine Brothers. You want to know the first three things that come out of their mouth? One, they're delicious. I can feel them coat my throat, and wow, they're soft, almost like a gummy bear. Yeah, I know they're soft. That's why they're called Pine Brothers Softish Throat Drops. Now, work with me, people. So this season, look, you're going to have some throat issues and do what I do to soothe my golden throat. I use Pine Brothers Throat Drops. You will love this product. It's worth every penny. You can find Pine Brothers at CVS, Select, Walmart, Target, ShopRite. Why? Because they are the best. All right, glad you're with us. Sean Hannity Show. Yep, two days. It's all over. It's done. By the time we get on the air, two days from now, less than 48 hours, Barack Hussein Obama's presidency will be over. He's in the process of holding his last press conference, and uh, we'll probably get to some of that in the course of the show today. All right, so all week we've been telling you about this ongoing sting operation by Project Veritas and James O'Keefe, and then we had this article come out by the Washington bureau chief for the Huffington Post. Guy's actually not a bad guy, Ryan Grimm. He's been on the program before, and Ryan Grimm counters sting, catches O'Keefe, Network attempting to sow chaos at Donald Trump's inauguration. The stinger gets stung. And the only problem is, and I looked at the little bit of video that they had put out there on this, it was not the same operation. Totally different. And perhaps it was conflated. I don't know. We'll get to the bottom of it. Uh, And we'll have a Hannity Classic shootout coming up in the second hour of today's program, a little less than one hour from right now. And we hope you can join us for that. Uh, We have the issue of Chelsea Manning and the commutation by President Obama and why that he did this. Uh, No, I don't want a bit of Obama alive. Nobody, no, 
Why do you do this at the beginning of the show? You interrupt me. You talk in my ear. How am I supposed to continue my monologue? Go ahead. Put your microphone on. What do you want to ask me? I wasn't interrupting you. My job is to alert you when there is breaking news. Okay. I'm telling a view of the 550 stations that are carrying this radio program right now, not one of them wants to carry Obama's press conference. I did not say that anybody wanted All right, to. D- dip into the stupid press conference for 30 so seconds so I don't lose my audience. And uh, folks in other countries. So you know, I, I use that as a metaphor. And if, in fact, we continue to keep opportunity open oh. to everybody, then Get yeah, we're going to have a woman the president. Stage. We had the farewell. We'll we had the, the speech. We had the Michelle speech. We have the speech, the speech, the speech. And he can't tell the truth about how bad he was anyway. Goodbye. You know what's going to happen to him? I'll go into this. He is going to get off the stage. And this is my opening monologue on TV tonight. I tried in so many different interviews with George W. Bush to get him to take a shot back at Obama. Because Obama, remember the early years of the Obama presidency, Bush, 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 Bush's fault, Bush's fault. And I do this whole thing on stage. If the dog bites you, it's not the dog's fault. It's not your fault for ripping the bone out of the dog's mouth. If you're a dopey liberal, it's George W. Bush's fault. You know, if you take a, a baseball bat and you knock down a wasp nest, it's not the wasp fault you get stung. It's it's not, you know, the fact that uh, you were too stupid to hire an exterminator, so that can't be your fault, and you expected a government extermination service, so you're a liberal and you want everything for free. No, that would be George Bush's fault. You drink too much Jack Daniels and you have a hangover the next day or Budweiser or whatever the hell it is you drink or wine or if you're a wino, and you wake up the next morning and you have a headache, it's, it's not your fault. It's not Jack Daniels' fault. That's Bush's fault. Serious. If you get pregnant, it's not your fault. That's probably Bill Clinton's fault, actually. <laughs> I don't think I'd blame that sucker on George Bush. Uh, it's ridiculous. And every time I'd ask Bush, he'd have too much class. Obama's not, I'm predicting, he's not going to have that much class. you got to understand something. This man is headed for the most difficult time in his life. He is, and I know he's going to try and make it up and go out and give speeches. It's never going to be the same again. He's not going to have the same environment. He won't be the president anymore. And what he's going to have a hard time dealing with is Donald Trump, who has said today that he is going to undo all these illegal, unconstitutional executive actions because Obama didn't have the wherewithal or the political courage to go out there as a co-equal branch of government working with the legislative branch to pass legislation the way it should be passed, he just ruled through executive fiat and executive orders. And he's come up and it's costing us billions and billions and even trillions of dollars in new regulations, etc. And Donald Trump is going to sit there for a few hours. He's either going to do it on Friday or he'll do it Monday. And he's going to wipe out 75% of everything Obama did. And Obama's going to know it. And he's not going to be able to handle it. I predict he'll go into a deep depression. I really do. I don't think he's going to be able to cope. And then when when Obamacare is repealed and replaced, his signature legislation, he's not going to be able to handle that either. That's 90% of, it's almost like he'll be the man that never was. Everything will vanish in seconds and he'll know it and it'll drive him insane. It will. And he's not going to be able to shut up. He's not going to go away and show the same class that George W. Bush showed him and the same respect that George W. Bush showed him. 
And he's going to be on the campaign trail constantly because that's the only thing he liked while being president anyway was the adoration. So and the accoutrements, if you will, that accompany such a high position like flying in Air Force One to Hawaii and sending your wife on a separate plane and flying on your own plane to where did he go? Nantucket, whatever the island he went to. Martha's Martha's Vineyard, wherever he went. And then, of course, Michelle following later in another plane and we paying for the whole thing paid a fortune for them to live the high life. Now, he's going to get rich. He's going to go out and do speeches and make a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth is, it will be, he's like the president that never existed. It'll be like the only thing we have left is the doubling of our national debt, him accumulating more debt than every president before him combined, and the horrible judicial picks that have lifetime appointments. Beyond that, there's nothing left. It'll all be wiped away. Because he couldn't deal doing it the right way, the constitutionally prudent way. And he tried to govern and rule as a king with executive fiat and executive orders. You know, too bad he's not going to be back community organizing in his hometown of Chicago, where 4,000 people, mostly African-Americans, were killed during the course of his presidency. And maybe get on the ground and try and stop the violence in his home city of Chicago. He's not going to do anything like that. He cares so much. He's going to Palm Springs. That's where he's going. Palm Springs, California. West and we waxation. We ought to have a pool. How soon it's going to be when he leaves office till he begins the process of unloading on Trump. We really should do a pool. I don't know. How do we do a pool like that on Hannity.com? Can we do that? Could you figure that out? Well, then we're going to have more people, but then people have to pay money. Then that's betting. The only people that are allowed to have gambling operations is the government. We could do a poll. That's not as good as my idea. I mean, I participate with the Chris and Tony football poll every uh, football pool every year. No, there is no money associated with it. Yeah, there is. But, you know, think about this. The government has a monopoly on gambling and lotto and lottery and. Or if you I, what if I wanted to compete in New York and start my own lotto system and I'll say, OK, five percent will benefit the children and education. I'll do it the same way the government does. If I set that up, uh, that would be called illegal. And they'd handcuff me, perp walk me and mug shoot me and send me to prison with Bubba. And that's where I'd spend the rest of my years. Probably. It's ridiculous. So anyway, so we have the Chelsea Manning issue also coming up. We'll probably delve into that uh, in the course of the program today. But anyway, so this conflict that was going on, we're going to have James O'Keefe debating Ryan Grimm on this whole thing. And But this is what we now know. We now know there are tapes of people that are talking about this Disrupt J20 group. They're on tape saying that they want to chain individual cars to trains at every train location to shut down the D.C. Metro service when, no, they're on record saying they want to shut down at least one bridge they want to shut down. They have plans, anarchists, J-20 groups, planning protests in city nationwide on Friday. The D.C. ones will get the most attention. And, you know, then on top of it, there's an audio tape of them saying, oh, we want to burn down people's houses and we're going to go to war with you. And we want to put acid, buraric acid in the HVAC ducts uh, to ruin the parties that people are going to and disrupt the balls that people are going to. 
And it even gets worse than that. You know, the group Anonymous is out there. They've threatened that Donald Trump will regret the next four years as president. They're urging their followers to investigate his past for shady connections ahead of what's happening on Friday. The group, which declared, quote, total war on Donald Trump ahead of the election last year, and now calling on supporters to look for any information they can reveal about him. Uh, it then threatened you're going to regret the next four years. Allegations aren't substantiated, and it's not clear what the actions anonymous followers will take, but it certainly is a call to arms to do something more than just complaining. These are the exact words. Go get him. It's your duty as adults. We gave you the resources. Use them, said Anonymous on one of its affiliated Twitter accounts. The threat came after Trump tweeted that the outgoing CIA chief, John Brennan, couldn't do much worse. Just look at Syria, the red line, Crimea, Ukraine, and the buildup of Russian nukes. Not good. Anyway, Anonymous, this group, has made good, by the way, on their threats to Trump in the past after declaring war on President-elect Trump back in March of 2016. A series of leaks purported to be from Trump's phone were spread online, dubbed Op Op White Rose, it called. Information included voicemails and telephone numbers at the same time, unverified personal details, including phone number and contact details of close aides were posted online. 2015, the group also brought down the Trump Tower New York website after Trump for a brief period and leaked further personal voicemails in protest of his rhetoric towards Muslims. Controversial groups, including the Klan, the Islamic State, have also been victims of Anonymous, which, by the way, I can't fault them for that. I hate those hate groups. So, but, you know, John Kerry, he's not going. 60 congressmen, they're not going to the inauguration. Chuck Schumer offering his support for these people. I respect where inauguration boycotters are coming from. They have so many irregularities. What is he talking about? Washington Post You know, think of the outrage of this. Never Trump Republicans are whining they can't get a job at the new Trump White House. Oh, let me just let me let me hire you tomorrow. You don't agree with anything that he stands for. What's the point? You know, Rand Paul's also right by saying somebody should go to jail for the Trump intel leaks. You know what I uh, retweeted today? We had Martin Luther King Jr. holiday on Monday. The FBI letter telling Martin Luther King Jr., that they've got all this dirt on him and his personal life and that they're going to reveal it and expose it and they basically tell him to kill himself to not have it exposed. So disgusting. But don't worry, that's, you know, government of, by, and for the people and the intel community can't be wrong. Intel community, by the way, James Clapper once had to admit he outright lied to Congress. I can only imagine what would happen if I lied to Congress. Anyway, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. We've got a lot of other news today, but you don't want to miss this uh, second hour of the program with James O'Keefe and Ryan Grimm, the Washington Bureau Chief of the Huffington Post. This is going to get interesting. So like many of you, I used to suffer from insomnia no matter what I did. I just couldn't get a perfect night's sleep. Well, then I met Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. He got me fitted for my very own MyPillow, and it's changed my life. I fall asleep faster, I stay asleep longer, and now you can too. Just go to MyPillow.com or call 800-467-1962. Use the promo code Sean to take advantage of Mike's two-for-one offer. Now, MyPillow is made right here in the USA, has a 60-day unconditional money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And by the way, you can even wash it and dry it. Just go to MyPillow.com or call 800-467-1962, promo code Sean, to get Mike's 
special two-for-one offer. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. I'm really glad when I read this today that Justice Clarence Thomas will become the first African-American to administer the oath of office, and he'll be using Reagan's Bible. I was hoping this would happen. I just secretly was hoping. I've met Clarence Thomas on a couple of occasions. By the way, he has one of those infectious, really great laughs of all time. I mean, very, very warm, wonderful person was very generous to me when I the, on the occasions that I met him. I last saw him, I think, at Rush's wedding some years ago, and it was I spent a lot of time talking to him then. I really enjoyed my time with him, and I think he's one of the great Supreme Court justices in our time. And uh, anyway, Pence will be uh, the first elected official to be sworn in on the Reagan family Bible since the late president used it during his inaugurations. And uh, from what I hear, the Bible will be open to the same passage that Reagan used during his inaugurations, which is Chronicles 714, which is, If my people, which are called by name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Well, the presidents are sworn in by the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Vice presidents have been sworn in in a variety of elected officials, including Joe Biden sworn in by Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. I think that's pretty cool. It's a great honor for Justice Thomas and one well-deserved, as he's been a a victim of such unfair abuse over the years by the left, starting with his confirmation hearings. Uh, Trump is going to order the State Department to focus on terrorism instead of global warming. And he's going to tell them to start using the word radical Islam. These people at the State Department, remember, they're the same people that are going through these stress management classes and, and how to learn how to deal with change. Well, if you can't deal with this, you might as well get out of the way. Anyway, Donald Trump has ratcheted up the State Department's role in the war on terror, which, you know, you think maybe instead of giving a rip about what the U.N. thinks and giving a rip about what countries that hate us think and coming up with ridiculous plans to give the number one state sponsor of terror, you know, billions of our tax dollars, maybe it's time for them to focus on what their real job should be. Anyway, the Trump team wants to restructure the State Department to focus more heavily on counterterrorism. Well, that would reduce the time and resources devoted to climate change. Why is the State Department involved in climate change? You know, what are you going to negotiate with China about their carbon emissions? Good luck with that. We don't have any say in what they're going to do and anything they promise is, is, is meaningless anyway. And we're the only idiots that pay for all of this in the end because we're the only ones that comply with this stupidity. Anyway, they talked to State Department officials have been convinced the president-elect's transition team that the department is underutilized, overshadowed by the Pentagon and the White House National Security Council, which have typically taken the lead on the counterterrorism front. How about all hands on deck until we defeat ISIS, al-Qaeda, and radical Islamists around the world? And when you think about terrorism which we think about a lot today, poverty, uh, which is linked, obviously, to the levels of terror that we see in the world today. Uh, And, of course, proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. Uh, All of these Uh, uh, are challenges that... Just turn it off. He's going to talk about climate. Don't go to the inauguration, John. I voted for the 87 million before I voted against it. He's one of these guys that considers himself the great intellectual. You know, I've met many, many journalist professors 
They couldn't do this show for a day if their life depended on it. They couldn't do a TV show for a night if their life depended on it. You know, there is something that is underutilized in a lot of people's lives. Education is great. Knowledge is awesome. If you can apply knowledge to principles that you you support in your life, and if you can apply the knowledge to the common sense God gave you, there is intuitive, natural knowing. I have found myself in situations in life, and I'm not anti-intellectual at all. As a matter of fact, I love education. I study now more at this point in my life than I have my entire life. On a year's basis, I will read and study more than I did in my entire college experience, which was three years. You know, I will, I will, I will study more in three months than I ever spent time studying in high school. It's, it's just the reality of the what my life is. I literally read a book a day. When you consider the pile that Sweet Baby James brings me and the newspapers that I go through every day, it is the equivalent of a book. I am the fastest reader you'd ever meet. Because I have to be, because that's my job. But I have met people that have all of this intellectual knowledge, very, very bright people, that they can't even figure out how to put gasoline in their car. I'm serious. I know a kid that went to Yale and couldn't figure out how to put gas in his car. I I know kids, I know people that are so smart, and when I tell them, I'll give you an example, people that are... Even in, I know people that are so smart intellectually that when I give them business ideas, they're like, they can't believe that I thought of it. I'm like, that's common sense to me. What are you missing here? And everybody's got their own gifts. Don't misunderstand me. I, I love, you know, if I had time in my life, I'd love to study to be a doctor now. If I, had time, I really would. I, I'm fascinated with operations. If I had time in my life, I'd become a lawyer, too. If I had time in my life, I would become, I'd study all the time. I'd study all the great philosophers. I'd once again, I, I once in my life, when I didn't have a TV for a number of years, I read all the Harvard classics, Dante's Inferno and Pilgrim's Progress and all these great books. And I studied them. I actually figured out, you know, in, the, in what they meant. I'd go deeper into what the meanings of these books were. You know, read the Bible. Well, the New Testament. I haven't gotten through the Old Testament. Just reading this stuff. And then I meet people that are so learned, so many degrees, that on basic, simple tasks in life are so dumb. I can't, they don't even know how to buy a car. They don't know a good deal on a, on a house. If it hit them over the head with a two-by-four, they wouldn't know it. And I'm stunned by that. So I think that, you know, in life, once you have a set of core principles and once you have a natural common sense that guides you in your day-to-day decision-making, then whatever knowledge you add to that only makes you that much smarter and stronger. The knowledge that comes in is applied to principles and applied to common sense. And for common sense, it's not so common anymore. So many people that are very smart fall prey to the same bumper sticker, slogans, demonization, classification of conservatives every election year. They fall right into the trap, and they actually believe we're evil if we're conservative. They believe that. 
Anyway, Nikki Haley is planning to blast Obama for his anti-Israeli vote uh, when she goes to the U.N. Biden is warning Davos and Switzerland that the liberal world order is collapsing. Globalism is on the decline. They're upset about that. Then we uh, have Obama granting clemency to terrorists who helped plant over 100 bombs. This is an interesting story. The uh, last imprisoned member of the Puerto Rican independence group actually have this video on tape back in the 70s. will be a free man by May, 20 years ahead of schedule. He's granted a commutation to the FALN mastermind Oscar Lopez Rivera, who served 35 years of his 55 year sentence. And during the 70s and 80s, Lopez Rivera was part of the FALN which placed more than 130 bombs in American cities, including one in New York on January 24th, 1975. The explosion went off in the Business Francaise Tavern during lunch. Four people died, including Frank Connor, a 33-year-old father. I know the media has more focused on Chelsea Manning, but that's pretty big to me. GOP, rightly so, is going ballistic. All this talk about, you know, there's a reason that, Obama never talked about the White House being hacked while he's president, the DOD being hacked while he's president, the State Department, the Postal Service, the IRS, the Office of Personal Management, 23 million personnel files hacked by the Chinese. He never mentions it. Why? Because it goes against the narrative that he actually cares about hacking, and he doesn't, because if he did, well, then he would have done something about it. Anyway, I think, uh, oh, Trump is using... I think he's using Lincoln's personal Bible. That's pretty interesting. I'm glad Clarence Thomas is going to be there. I think that's awesome. Good for him. He deserves it. He really does. Such a nice guy. So glad I got to meet him. Obama gets a minus 9% final grade from the public. Well, Ed Klein confirms what I've been saying. He has a source inside the White House that had slept in the Lincoln bedroom, dined with the Obama family and the residents, Got regular updates on, you know, what's going on since the election. Anyway, he says that his source is saying Barack can't wait to get out of the White House. It's now the grimmest place in the world. The atmosphere is funereal. Everybody looks like they lost their best friend and their dog. Barack's supposed to be cheering people up, but he can barely muster a smile. He knows there's nothing much he can do to make his staff feel any better. And it's getting worse with Trump rolling out his cabinet picks. And they portray him as an angry, deeply hurt, depressed Obama who can't get over his party's defeat in the polls. And he's taking it as a personal rebuke by the American people. That's only going to get worse. I promise you, that's going to get much worse before all is said and done. Um, Let's see. What else do we got here today? Yeah, Trump is going to be sworn in on two special Bibles. And uh, let's see, one is going to be his own family given to him by his mother. The other will be Lincoln's Bible. And Clarence Thomas is going to do it for him. Donald Trump, thank God. Why are Republicans offering this now that they have both houses of Congress? Trump is saying we need a 10 percent spending cut. That's what we need. And a 20 percent cut of federal workers. No offense, but we need that, too. We don't get that. There's been one little thing. Apparently, the. President Obama offered at POTUS to Trump, but they only have 6.5 million followers, and Trump has 13.5 million followers. He's going to keep at real Donald Trump. Um, A hidden CNN poll, the Washington Examiner pulled up. The headline on the CNN poll is 
Confidence drops in Trump transition inside the poll. Well, only Queen Elizabeth and Pope Francis have a higher approval rating than President-elect Trump, according to Americans asked to consider the world leaders. That's pretty interesting happening today. Ariana now is in the sleep business, and Ariana Huffington is pushing the idea that if Donald Trump got eight hours sleep and put his phone off, that'd be, be a much better president in the next four years. You can't. You got to give Ariana credit because there's nothing she's not going to be able to sell. She's go out there. She'll turn anything into that. Anyway, um, President-elect Trump will be met with an unsustainable government spending. Let me just tell you one little quick thing. And there are a couple of articles that woke me up to this today that Sweet Baby James had handed to me. And I said, you know, this makes a lot of sense to me. And one was a town hall piece. And now the left's war on normal Americans truly begins. United We Fall was in the American thinker. And I read both these articles and I put it with my own thoughts. And this is what I've come up with. Every effort by the snowflakes to insult Donald Trump is really an attack on you. Every effort to stop his Supreme Court appointments, his vetting ideas, his rolling back regulation and the bureaucracy, lowering corporate taxes, repatriating multinational corporations, eliminating Obamacare, replacing it with health savings accounts, energy independence, education back to the states, immigration building the wall. Everything is going to be met with a fierce, unprecedented resistance and a rhetoric that you probably have never heard before and i know you think you've heard a lot from the snowflakes and they're still ongoing and it's going to be i guess at its height in the next two days and we'll be down in washington for the next two days but i'm just telling you this is not stopping every single one of those agenda items which he keeps reinforcing he is going to pursue now, Ray. Yeah, of course, there's a point of repair gas, and I don't care how big the building is, it's closing. It's staying closed for a while. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, and, and this stuff is, like, it's very efficient. It's very, very smelly, lasts a long time, and a little of it goes a long way. I know, I'm trying to think through how to get all the scissors through the board. There's usually a piece of, like, beautiful metal or a piece of glass and liquid in it that'll blow. The message has to be that, you know, we do not recognize the city government either. If you try to close us down, we will look for your house. Yeah. We will burn it. We will physically fight the police if we try to clear one of our places. We will go to war and you will lose. I mean, it would be really interesting if you could stop them from having the war on all. I was thinking of things that ruin, that would ruin the evening, you know, ruin their outfits, uh, or otherwise make it impossible to continue with their plans. Make sure they get nothing accomplished. We repeated the original plan. We could use all that same stuff. Then I can break the cans with you take with a plunger, some stiff rubber bands, and a safety pin thing. So all you got to do is pull the pin and press the plunger. The whole can discharges. We have to. This is the way we have to brainstorm. Like, what can we do? Yeah. That will accomplish the mission. So that is bad enough. That stuff is nasty enough that, that it will it will spread. So we figured out um, Ukraine's poor. One person's going to walk on an exchange to the bench. We're on the other end of the street, the car, walk along the road, dark. It takes 15 seconds, and everyone can leave, but literally, it can't go that would require like a bolt cutter undo basically shut down that line 
between Heroin's the Dio is the hit, Metro Center, Gallery Place, and Mohampas. They're all close enough to walk to, and that's every single line in the city. A significant number of us, up to a dozen that we've talked to so far at least, expressed interest in arrestable action, civil disobedience. Um, but the agreement that we left Sunday on was we're not going to do that unless, as you pointed out, it's actually effective. It's actually, it's not, we're not just looking to get a, like a, a notch to say we got arrested. We want to do it so we can have an impact. All right, we continue our story, hour two of the Sean Hannity show, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, and some of the tapes that they got this week. This group that is out there that is uh, involved in threatening to do all sorts of things, uh, burning down houses and stopping trains and bridges and buraric acid at balls that they'll get into the HVAC system. And this is a group of people called Disrupt J20, the J20 group, and a lot of things that have been made. Now, uh, as soon as we aired the first report, Ryan Grimm, who is the Washington bureau chief for the liberal Huffington Post, made the claim that there was actually a counter sting operation going on against James O'Keefe and that these things apparently were said for his benefit and an accusation that, in fact, James O'Keefe's people were offering money to shut down a bridge. In other words, inciting people to say these things. Now, when James O'Keefe got his video on tape, he did take it to the D.C. Metro Police because this was seemingly a terroristic style threat. Uh, If you're going to use this acid and get it in the HVAC ducts or you're going to try and chain uh, cars of trains and you're going to stop bridges and you're threatening to burn people's homes down. And uh, they took it very seriously. The Secret Service, the Metro D.C. Police, the FBI, all are investigating, apparently. Anyway, so we decided to bring these two together. James O'Keefe, founder of Project Veritas, and Ryan Grimm. And James uh, is very passionate about the fact that they're talking about two very different operations that were going on and that Ryan Grimm is talking about another case. James, why don't you explain it in your own words? Thank you, Sean, for having me on. This is pretty straightforward. The, the, these, these individuals uh, met with our journalists at a restaurant in D.C. after two months of developing relationships with them, and they told us that they wanted to put acid in the vent shafts. They talked about how they want to harm people with cold water from the sprinklers being set off. They went on to talk about other plans involving putting chains on metro trains, punching people in the throat, and generally causing, uh, causing a, what they call a cluster F. We established relationships with them over the course of a few weeks, and after this meeting on December 18th, they sent a number of follow-up emails where they CC'd not only our, our undercover journalists, but all the other people involved. There were literally a 100 people involved in these tr- group training sessions and discussions in shutting down the inaugural events. So the notion of a reverse thing in this case with these individuals, Disrupt J20, Scott Green, and Colin Dunn, and Luke Kuhn, is utterly implausible, not just to me, but to the FBI, the Secret Service, and the Counterterrorism Task Unit, who, as I speak, is meeting, discussing this, and and we've confirmed much of the information they already had. Ryan, are you talking about a separate sting operation? Uh, I think so, and I don't get the opportunity to say this very often, so I want to I want to take it right here. I completely agree with James O'Keefe. Uh, what he is describing is a separate um, operation, as far as I can tell. Uh, I wasn't when I wrote uh, my story about the, uh, the the counter sting. I wasn't even actually even aware that that he was. Uh, stinging this this other group, this J20, uh, you know, group of whatever you'd call them, anarchists and communists who are who are planning to disrupt the the convention. So I, James is James is absolutely correct. So actually, are you praising James O'Keefe's work here? 
You know, hey, uh, take it for what, take it for how it sounds. By the way, is this the same Ryan Grimm that constantly took shots at me after I had you as a guest on this program? Is that the same guy? Are you sure it's you? Are you drinking today? Uh, when did I ever take a shot at you, Sean? I, I have I have missed you greatly since I uh, since I was last on. No, but so uh, look, I think then what you're saying is what I guess James and I agree on here. If you're talking about putting acid in the HVAC ducts, if you're talking about burning down people's homes, if you're talking about tying chains to trains in the D.C. railway and you're talking about blocking bridges and you're talking about we'll go to war, that is something that you wouldn't support at the Huffington Post or personally. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I so, do think we want to be careful about kind of undermining the, the you know, what people who have... Well, let me then offered. ask you the follow-up okay. question. Do you think James O'Keefe did good work here then? Yeah, I think I think this is this is probably good work. I think the, the, my only my only criticism of it, and I, and I think it I think it is good work. I think he went in there and he, he I think he probably did accurately... Uh, uh, it, you know, expose what, what was going on there. My only criticism would be it's a group called Disrupt the Inauguration or whatever the name is. Disrupt, Disrupt J20. Yeah. Disrupt J20. Like they're very publicly saying that they're going to engage in direct action, which is lefty code word for civil disobedience, breaking, uh, breaking laws in order to get arrested, in order to create a disturbance and try to shut down whatever operation is going on. So I do think he did good work. I think it's interesting to see the inner workings of, of a group like this. Is there a possibility? But I, think, but I don't think it exposed any hypocrisy, if you know what I mean. Is, is, is there a possibility because of his work, lives could be saved? Lives could be saved. Well, maybe, is, right? Is any, or injuries prevented? Let's, let's all hope, right? Yeah. Well, uh, James, I didn't particularly expect that from Ryan Grimm today. I expected a big argument and a fight. There goes my whole show. But, well, um, we could talk about the other one if you wanted. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But what's your reaction to what, what Ryan's saying, James? I'm not surprised, Sean. I think that I think that I don't know Ryan. I haven't met. I haven't spoken to Ryan since he's been on this program. But I think any self-respecting reporter looking at the evidence here, we've laid out the evidence. The FBI, Secret Service, and members of the D.C. Metro Police were when when we met with them. And, and I have some a little bit of news to report on your show, Sean. That the U.S. Attorney's Office called our attorney late last night, and my attorney again met with um, this terrorism joint task force today, and they told uh, us. That um, that they're that they're revisiting the matter and um, they're analyzing the tape and they also said to us, which Ryan now agrees with, this was definitely not a counter sting. They they looked at the body language, they looked at the evidence, they looked at the emails. To them, this was not even close to a counter sting. This is certainly something they were no. all planning. So I'm not shocked by Ryan's agreement. Uh, the evidence is clear. These guys are planning this, and you might see an arrest made. You, you might. You know, as your attorney put out there, I mean, look, I would not be surprised at some point if a group wants to do a reverse thing on you, James, because of the work that you've done and the success you've had and the people you've exposed. And I could see that happening anytime. But, you know, the fact that, it, you know, all of this information that these people would know by law enforcement, as you said, and the things that they're talking about, there's nothing funny here. There's, what I'm hearing here is a bunch of anarchists plotting, scheming, and planning to bring not just disruption, but potential harm to people. And, uh, you know, I, I know liberals maybe have a different philosophical belief than me, but I was the one that always said during the Obama years, we have got to protect our president. We have got to protect our, our elected officials. And I really, really think I believe in the peaceful transfer of power. Um, yeah. And I, I think these threats now exist equally for Donald Trump. And that scares me, too, because we've got to, as I've said all during the Obama years, protect these guys. Well, they, they did. When we met with the 
the government they did they they said they were aware that they were that these individuals Legba, Carrefour, Luke Kuhn are their names. Legba talked about chaining the trains. Luke Kuhn talked about burning houses down and putting acid in the in the shafts. They were the the FBI was aware that they were actually planning these activities. They were aware of this and they thanked us. And I'm going to quote the brief here. Our information was deemed quote helpful and quote confirmed some of the intelligence these agents had already received. I'm glad so, to hear that. All right, so let's go. Our journalism it confirms and corroborates what the law enforcement agents. I, I, I could be creating the greatest partnership in the history of media <laughs> with James O'Keefe and the Huffington Post. But all right, so what is your complaint, Ryan, about this other issue or the other counter sting article you were writing about? Well, I didn't. I didn't have a. And actually, if we want to bring a little conflict into the first one and and salvage that part. Of it. I would, by, by the way, I'm would, only listen. If people are safer oh, no, I'm, because I'm of this, too. I'm yeah. I'm I'm really happy. I would I would quibble with the the, the throat punching thing. Like uh, James James may not know this, but throat punching is uh, it's kind of a word that like 90 pound guys use to like pretend that they're going to annoy somebody. Like let's let's go do some throat punching. They're not these are anybody who says that they're going to throat punch somebody. Well, if you say has never it, punched it, anybody. But if like you that, if you add that to burning down people's yeah, sure, homes, sure, sure. I, yeah, yeah. you got to put it in its context. So what is your disagreement? So I didn't. Well, just to, to suggest that this 90 pound kid was actually going to punch somebody in the throat. That that was my only disagreement. But you know he's on tape saying it, so it's you know no no fault of uh, James's there. That's that's the only context I would add on the on the on the on the separate one. I don't I didn't really have any uh, uh, any complaint with anything that um, Project Veritas was doing. But this this was a really fascinating little situation where you had and I I presume Allison Moss was recording the exchange as well, the Project Veritas operative, uh, you had two people sitting at a restaurant filming each other, each one trying to get the other to say incriminating things so that they could expose the other. All right, stop as, right there. Hang yeah. on. James, do you agree with that assessment or no? Yeah, I think that's generally true. Allison is one of our reporters. She she was actually, you know, all she was, yes, she was wearing a hidden camera, but she was just asking questions about what do you guys have planned? You know, she was and, acting like Ryan would act if Ryan was at the Huffington Post. This, By the way, what we're talking about now is a completely separate thing. Yeah. A completely separate group uh, a few weeks ago that that Ryan uncovered. Right, last question: Did you did she offer money to shut down a bridge? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is a cat and mouse that, game. That was in Ryan's video. piece. All right, we'll pick it up there when we get back. Eight hundred nine four one Sean James uh, O'Keefe and Ryan Grimm. Eight hundred nine four one Sean is a number. We'll get to your calls also coming up. We know you never want to miss the Sean Hannity Show, and now you never have to. Just sign up for Hannity Headlines. A bite-sized version of the show that you can take with you on your laptop, your mobile phone, everywhere you go, even to your liberal in-law's place in Vermont. So, um, yeah. And after a few hours of that, you'll be glad you brought Sean along. To sign up today for Hannity Headlines, go to Hannity.com. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. We continue our discussion from the last half hour. James O'Keefe, the founder of Project Veritas. Ryan Grimm, who is the Washington bureau chief for the Huffington Post. I was expecting a big fight in the last hour based on an article that Grimm had written in the Huffington Post. But we're able to all come to agreement that James O'Keefe 
O'Keefe's work about this Disrupt J20 group that he got on tape talking about things like chaining train cars at the station at the D.C. Metro and shutting down the entire train transportation system in D.C. and stopping uh, people from going over bridges and, and dropping acid in the HVAC system and burning down people's homes and going to war with people. Even Ryan Grimm thinks that this was pretty good work, uh, which is pretty interesting. And then it led to a wider discussion about journalism in America today. And uh, if you look at the approval ratings of journalism and the mainstream media in particular, Ryan, what do we see? We see that they are their believability and trustworthiness is at an all time low. We learned through WikiLeaks that there was massive collusion from many networks and many publications with the Hillary Clinton campaign, even the right to edit pieces in The New York Times or Politico or questions fed to Hillary before town hall events. And it gets worse from there. You know, we saw Martha Raddatz crying. She had moderated a debate once it was announced that Donald Trump became president. John Harwood bragging uh, that he got under Trump's skin and and he obviously had a bias and all of this was revealed. And I think this is now the state of new journalism. And by the way, I would include the Huffington Post in this and Matt Drudge in the Drudge Report. And then we've got Project Veritas that in many ways has gone back to old style journalism, which is going undercover and, and breaking stories the way they have. And it's had a big impact in the election and it's having a big impact now. And then there's people that hate talk radio like Obama and hate the Fox News channel like Obama. And Obama attacked me by name at least a dozen times. And then you have your colleagues in the mainstream media. I don't consider you mainstream, though, Ryan, to be honest. I consider I'll take you... that as a compliment. Well, I consider you pretty hard left. I mean, your paper was talking about or online Huffington Post was talking about how Donald Trump's not a legitimately elected president. That's ridiculous to me. But you have an opinion. You have a readership. You have, I guess, a constituency that you're appealing to and you have every right to do it. Appreciate that. And maybe Obama will change his opinion now that he's in retirement and has more time to uh, listen to talk radio in the afternoon. I t- tend to think he's got better things to do than listen to me talk about how horrific his eight years have been. <laughs> no way. Uh, well, I can give It'll you the statistics. The writing his I can give you the statistics. But I guess let, let's go back to 60 Minutes for just a second, James O'Keefe. Do you remember Mike Wallace? I mean, I know Chris, and Mike Wallace was probably the best at it. 60 Minutes built their reputation doing this on a regular basis. And yeah, now... Yeah, yes. Yes, Sean. My, I mean, I'm very young. I was born in the mid '80s, but yes, I remember. My, I've looked at the videos. I've read history because I'm and I and I read the history of journalism, and I see that they used to confront corporate CEOs. They used to go in. Some called it yellow journalism, but they used to go in and they, they used to make people shake in their boots. And there and there just hasn't been that happen over the last eight years. And Sean, I've been on your program a number of times. I've been served criminal grand jury subpoenas. I've been harassed by my government. Eric Holder came after me after we did the voter fraud in New Hampshire. I can tell you story after story about. About power coming after us, but I would go a step further than, than than you know what Ryan said about you said Ryan is opinionated in his journalism. At Veritas, we don't even state opinions. We just show things. We show the reality. We have to tape the stuff because no one would believe me otherwise. I don't editorialize. I don't use adjectives to describe things. And the American people are upset at journalists, in my opinion, because they read these articles and they're so slanted. They use flowery language to describe events. Veritas just goes in and films the. Stuff. And we let people speak in their own words. And we need more. And don't you usually also release the unedited version as well on your website? Yeah, we sometimes do. Sometimes we have to be careful about revealing our undercover people or revealing our sources. But no journalist in their right mind, this is another way they hold me to a higher standard, releases their full raw notebooks. If they did, if the New York Times did, if CNN did, if CBS did, you would see a different story. 
That's why Katie Couric got sued for defamation when she edited that video where they showed the gun people reacting and they were all quiet and confused. When you looked at the raw, they immediately responded. So journalists cut and edit and mince words and use hyperbole to obviously... By the, the, by the way, you know, cuts every interview up as 60 minutes. They never air the entire interview. Sometimes they'll add it now to 60 minutes online, other parts, but it's still edited. And I usually try to do, I, I try to do sometime for the constraints of time. I have to cut this or that out, but I try and air my interviews as they are. Yeah, people want, people want access to raw, unfiltered information, and social media is allowing that to happen. That's why Facebook and Twitter have 70% of the market share right now. And, and we're not yet at the tipping point, but we're reaching a tipping point where at some point people are just going to say, I don't believe you to the television, and they're going to go right to, they want to see the raw information. That's why Veritas is successful, but Sean, you and I both know that many mainstream media platforms are scared to give to give air to these stories because they're just that effective. Listen, I get I get in trouble just for putting you on the air. I mean, I get in, I, I, people don't, my audience doesn't particularly like Ryan Grimm, but I'm putting him on the air. <laughs> Ryan, why didn't you, when your story came out, the counter sting catches James O'Keefe Network attempting to sow chaos at Trump's inauguration, the stinger gets stung. When you put that out and then you saw the way it was being interpreted, why didn't you speak out how his story was being misconstrued in the public and that this was a separate issue and a separate example? Well, I, the first I'm hearing that these were presumed to be the same thing. Is, is You're now. not hearing it for the first time. You know what the subject matter was before you came on the air. We talk. No, no, no. I know the subject matter. I, I didn't know that people were conflating the J20 and the whatever you would want to call the other one that I wrote about, the the, the ATA. As I, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, it came out, your, your latest one came out on Monday. Is that right, mm-hmm. James? That's correct. Right. That's so correct. Monday, I was off Monday. So here, here's, where, here's where I would, Sean, not argue, but I, Ryan, I think you knew that people were conflating the two. In fact, some of these corporate media entities are using your article currently as the reason not to air the story. And the fact that you're on Sean's program right now, clearing the air, saying there's a, there's nothing to do with one or the other, that changes the game. I, I agree with you that that is a game changer because I know for a fact that people were conflating the two issues. Let me let me t- let me it, let me let me, let me, me I expand. Cleared that up on Twitter if I if I thought that was. Let me expand this into the decision. Will you do? I guess you can tweet it out right after this. But after Obama and his decision on Chelsea. Manning to commute the sentence. Now, again, I mentioned the, the Pentagon Papers some time ago. Okay, so he's going to commute the sentence. How does this impact in both of your minds, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, which all they did was print what was handed to them? Uh, is that any different from what the New York Times did with the Pentagon Papers? Your thoughts, Ryan Grimm? The, the, the big problem that they have always had with uh, Julian Assange, they called it the New York Times problem because, uh, you know, because the New York Times, were, you know, cooperated with WikiLeaks in publishing uh, a lot of the, the a lot of the Manning materials, it would be very difficult for them to go after Assange without also going after the New York Times. Uh, supposedly, you know, Assange thinks that there is a sealed indictment um, of him. I don't even know what the charges would be. Well, I think the Department of Justice under Loretta Lynch has said that if they did go after Julian Assange, they would have to go after other journalists, and it makes it impossible for them to do so. In other words, do you think, you know, would any other news organization have gone with this? I I think history proves that they probably would have and that the culprit, the person that broke the law that stole the materials was Chelsea Manning. Right. So and, and the, the sources, you know, somebody who leaks classified information is always at risk 
um, of of getting caught. I think if you uh, were presented with this information, would you have run it as an exclusive for the Huffington Post? Yes, but no, I, I wouldn't run it the way that WikiLeaks ran it, which is just to kind of dump it all on the site. What I would do is I would go through it and find the, the newsworthy aspects. But um, I have before published. Um, classified information, and I, and I would do it again if I felt like it was... Well, if you ever get arrested, ready. I honestly would do this. I will go visit you in jail, and I'll bring you a cake with a file on it. I'd take I care... I appreciate that. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, James O'Keefe? I would say there's a distinction between people stealing information like Manning did or, or breaking the law, criminally breaking the law. And by the way, sometimes, in the like in the case of Snowden, you can be a hero and a traitor. It, it's not necessarily, you don't have to be one or the other. You can, you, can, you can sometimes, as Martin Luther King said, you can, some laws are unjust. But he did break the law, and, and some would argue it was pretty heinous in how he did it. There's a distinction between breaking the law like that and just breaking information that someone else gives to you. There's a total distinction there. If someone came to me with information and I thought it was important for the public to see it and it, and it didn't jeopardize I had a responsibility, I would publish it. But I wouldn't go hack into the system and do all the illegal things. There is a huge distinction there, and we have to remember that when we're talking about... Well, you know, I mean, this this whole charge that somehow the Russians were involved in the election when we know they didn't hack into our voting machines and they had no impact on the voting of people. But, you know, you can't get away from this aspect of the story, which is Hillary Clinton uh, did not secure, as she was required to, by law, top secret information, special access program information, and that her email were hacked because she put a server in a mom-and-pop shop bathroom closet. And we now have confirmed, I know Fox confirmed with a 99% certainty that at least five foreign intelligence agencies had gotten into this. And everyone's all concerned about this, but during the Obama years, I doubt the Huffington Post reported that the White House had been hacked, the DOD had been hacked, the State Department had been hacked, the IRS had been hacked. The... I, actually bro- I actually broke the story that uh, the White House had been hacked. Did you? And then, yeah. of course, we have the Office of Personnel Management, 22, yeah, I... 23 million per personal files hacked by the Chinese, Obama never discussed it. Yeah, I didn't break that one. But it turned out my, my wife's files were in there because she had uh, done a clerkship. That, uh, you know, there are millions and millions of people. I know, but what, nobody talked about that. Nobody. That was pretty big. Pretty no, big, it really know. wasn't that big. If Obama didn't talk about it, that's that tells you where his priorities are. Doesn't that suggest that talking about Russia and the case of Hillary Clinton's server and somehow they're not responsible and Russian hacking without any evidence whatsoever to confirm it? There's also a distinction between hacking an election and showing people's emails. Let's just, let's assume Russia showed the emails. That's not hacking an election. That's like a form of transparency to show what people are doing. Hacking an election, yeah. like the videos in Philadelphia where they were literally telling people who to vote for, the election judges well, on election day, you know, and here's another people who to vote for. And then it's even worse than that because Obama, you know, used taxpayer money and tried to influence the election against our, our biggest ally, Bibi Netanyahu. And that's just a fact. Right. I mean, the United States has been flipping elections uh, either by, by force or by uh, other, other subtle means of influence for more than 100 years. That's for sure. Yeah, and nobody really paid attention to that, but except for people like me. And well, the lefties were pretty mad about a lot of those. And, it, when, and I know it bothers Ryan to no end that this show is as popular as it is, and Hannity the TV makes show. Me happier. You're such a liar. You're such a liar. <laughs> I used to say to you, say hi to Ariana for me, but she's not there anymore, is she? I keep up with her. I'll, I'll say hi to her for you. No, she's not. She's she has moved on to bigger and better things. Uh, well, I still like Ariana. She's nuts, but I like her. <laughs> 
Nah, and now she's talking about, well, if Donald Trump slept eight hours a day, he'd be doing so much better <laughs> in the next day, four years. All right. It you know what? This, this turned into something totally unexpected, but I think a very worthwhile conversation. And you both contributed a lot to it. Thank you both. Ryan, welcome back. James, I think uh, today's a vindication day for you and uh, good for you. Thank you for the work you do. And I hope that lives are saved as a result of that work. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Final news roundup and information overload in the final hour of the Sean Hannity Show. We're almost at the front, okay? Everyone can hear my voice? Yeah. We're almost at the front. They already blocked the whole front, which means that it's already, this Trump Hotel is already shut down. I think what we should do is we should run up. Yes! Woo! They're going to freak out, but we're just going up to the barricades. We're not going over. News Roundup and Information Overload Hour here on the Sean Hannity Show. That was at the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. It's our snowflake snowstorm update. You got the group Anonymous now calling on followers to actually attack Donald Trump. The group has declared a total war on Trump. Uh, They did this ahead of the election last year. They're calling on supporters to look and reveal for any information they can find you're going to regret, they threaten, the next four years. Really? Anyway, they are urging followers to investigate his past, shady connections ahead of this inauguration week. And then the allegations uh, aren't substantiated, not exactly clear that they'll take it, but put it, they put out a call to arms. Go get him. It's your duty as adults. We have the resources. Use them. The threat came after Trump tweeted out, that the outgoing CIA chief, John Brennan, couldn't do much worse. Just look at the red line in Crimea and Ukraine and the buildup of Russian nukes. It's not good. Anonymous, by the way, it's involved in hacking, collecting and all that sort of thing. Anyway, they have made good on threats to Trump in the past after declaring war with the president-elect in March of 2016. A series of leaks purporting to be from Trump's phone were spread online. And the information included voicemails and telephone numbers. At the same time, unverified personal details, etc., were of close aides were posted online. And then, of course, in 2015, the group brought down the Trump Tower New York website after Trump for a brief period and leaked personal further voicemails of his rhetoric towards Muslims. So that's just one group. And, of course, we have the latest O'Keefe video planning to blockade the Trump inauguration. And, of course, John Kerry 
He's not going to the inauguration. We're now up to 60-plus Democrats that are not going. Um, then we have Chuck Schumer. I respect where the inauguration boycotters are coming from. They have so many. There have been so many irregularities. Washington Post, never Trump Republicans are whining about not getting a job at the White House. Why would they hire you if you don't support what they're doing? Now you just want a job? You think it's your due to get a job? And Rand Paul actually said somebody should go to jail for the Trump intel leaks. CNN, of course, we've got great debate battles going on there with one of their hosts, or I guess contributors, suggesting that people that support Trump that happen to be black Americans are mediocre Negroes. Sheriff David Clark had to weigh in on that and fired back at that stupid comment, ignorant comment. Robert Reich has weighed in. And uh, then you got Josh Earnest making an unsubstantiated claim against Congressman Tom Price, who is slated to be the Health and Human Services Secretary. Anyway, joining us now, Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson is with us, author of the book, Bestseller, Dereliction of Duty, an eyewitness account of how Bill Clinton compromised America's national security. Gary Byrne, a decorated White House Secret Service veteran who witnessed a lot of the obscenity-filled rages and violent behavior at the Clinton White House. He wrote the book Crisis of Character. A White House Secret Service officer discloses his firsthand experience with Hillary Bill and how they operate. Welcome both of you to the program. Uh, Gary, I'll start with you and think back to your capacity of being outside the Oval Office office for all those years when Bill Clinton was president. The Secret Service is referring to this inauguration as as the most unique in terms of threats that they've ever experienced. Do you see that? Uh, yeah, I do, Sean. Uh, first of all, it's nice to be with you again. I um, I worked three inaugurals while I was in the Secret Service Uniform Division, two for uh, President Clinton and then one for George W. And they're, they're, they all have some similarities, which they're always very large. Um, two of the most important things to know about the inaugurals is they're in the same place every four years. But that also gives the Secret Service the advantage of they've done this many times. Um, them and their partners with the FBI and other law enforcement, you know, they'll have their, their act together, believe me. But it is it is a huge task. Well, this is a massive undertaking. I mean, I've, I've got to assume you need a, a literally a, a bubble created, a, a 360-degree bubble where anybody that wants to get inside that bubble needs to be checked. Is that possible? Yes, it is. It, it, uh, from the White House all the way up to the Capitol, about two or three blocks left and right of that of that path will be uh, closed off, pretty much like the security you would need to get into an airport. Well, and, what, what uh, if what if somebody and I'm 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 thinking out of the box here because these sounds like this sounds like real threats by real people. Yeah. And yeah. look, I, I know a lot of people discussed this when when Obama came in office, President Obama, and yeah. be, and and people thought about the threat assessment then. Yeah. And now we've got these people that are opening openly threatening Donald Trump. What yeah. does that mean and, for the Secret Service? service and what if somebody god forbid snuck a gun in already right all those things you're talking about are possible not likely but here's one thing that their threats do give the secret service now that gives them reason to go and start interviewing them right now full speed start pulling people you know uh figuring out, well, they already know who a lot of these people are start pulling them aside start interviewing them and uh, and maybe they can actually intervene with some of this stuff now because that they were open threat okay from your position lieutenant colonel buzz patterson to me this is a massive undertaking and a great risk for everybody well it definitely is sean and uh, i was in the uh, 1997 inauguration and also in the back to the White House. And I remember how massive it was back in those days. There are probably today about 28,000 security officers and officials that are working this. Secret Service guys, FBI, Park Police, Capitol Police, National Guard. There's actually what they call the Multi-Agency Command Center, the MAC, which has all these agencies there in a room communicating with each other while this goes on. It's uh, it's a massive 
a huge footprint, a massive undertaking. And I do believe this is a very unique one in terms of the threat that Donald Trump faces. I have no, I have no doubt, however, whatsoever, that the Secret Service guys, the FBI, they've all done their job. They're, they're doing their due diligence right as we speak. The airspace over Washington, D.C. is going to be closed on Friday. It won't be the way anybody can, can get to from the air or on the ground, in my estimation. All right. So do you think that this is a different time? And do you think the threat that, that they're talking about openly, do you, do you view this as a real clear present danger? Do you think it's I any think it's, do you, don't you think every president is facing this threat? No, I, I think it's a little different this time, because one of the things that we, the three of us know, but we just haven't discussed yet is in the last eight years, President Obama has gone out of his way to reduce the respect. The best way to put it is to reduce the respect of law enforcement. Now you've got thousands and thousands of anarchists who don't really respect law enforcement like they used to. They think it's okay to attack them. And that will play in to what we see happen on the Narvaez. Explain what you mean by that in a little more detail. So, you know, when President, one of the first things that happened when President Obama took office was this friend of his that was a professor got arrested for destroying uh, private property. And he was arrested by the police. And the first thing that, that, that President Obama said was the police officer did something stupid because he knew this guy, which is incredibly uh, kind of silly to say. And then later on, we saw President Obama, whenever, you know, something happened with um, uh, somebody getting shot, an African-American getting shot, they right away, they took the side of the, of the so-called victim and they basically attacked uh, law enforcement. Law enforcement is too aggressive. Law enforcement is this. Law enforcement does the best they can with the tools they have. And then 99 percent of the time, they get it right. Yeah, well, it's that 1 percent of the time, I guess, that we've got to worry about. And I haven't even mentioned radical Islamic terrorism. And I'm sure a desire by ISIS to take this moment where we have a change in government and the peaceful transfer of power and, and use it to their advantage if they see one. Yeah, and I have to say also, Sean, that there's also a lot of programs in place that exist around the clock for the White House and the president that are already there existing in terms of having hospitals on alert. There'll be evacuation routes planned. Um, they'll have helicopter fixed-wing assets on alert around the area to get Mr. Trump, President Trump, out of harm's way should it come to that. So this is not unusual that we have high security around the president. President Trump, I think, is an unusual um, uh, protectee, as it were. Um, but I, I want to reassure everybody that they... The a lot of presidents, when... A lot of presidents, when they are in the inaugural parade after they've taken the oath of office and they go down Pennsylvania Avenue, a lot of them over the years get out of the car for a period of time and they walk. Yeah, so that part of the motorcade is there's a there's a point there where the Secret Service, they've already told the president, there's a point if you want to get out of the car, this is where you can get out. And and they've taken some, some um, security precautions. On so in other words, that out. would be a predetermined area. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. It's going to be the most secure area. Area close to the bandstand, because uh, the uh, the stand that they built, because that stand that's not just a bunch of bleachers. Uh, the colonel can tell you that it takes about a month to build it, and it's like a regular structure. It's just temporary. This is something that maybe I shouldn't even ask, but I'll ask anyway. Would this be an event where the president and the incoming president, the outgoing president, would probably be wearing a vest? You know what? It's, uh, it's would... up to their it's up to their ship leaders and themselves for that particular day. Uh, it depends what protective they are. Yeah. What, what That's you... exactly right. It was, it was always situational. In my, my time there, Sean, it was situational. Uh, the president, President Clinton, in this case, would take the advice of the of the, uh, of the lead and, and wear one. He did on occasion in my time there wear one. I would I would probably advocate that in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to add to that, Sean, is there is there a possible, is there such a vest design now that nobody would even know you had it on? Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're pretty good with that. Actually, I just got, I just got a, a chance not too long ago to look at some some modern vests. Um, 
the president has access to the latest stuff. Um, nowadays, what they're wearing is the state of the art. It is thinner, and it will stop rifle bullets. So, yeah, it's out there, absolutely. But then that doesn't stop a headshot, does it? No, it does not. And uh, that's where the Secret Service comes in. And uh, so scary. But all we're talking about here is so scary. When I just read to you what Anonymous and all these other groups are doing, you know, what does that do to your antenna? Because it puts my antenna through the roof. Well, for me, it's just an, it would be another day at the office. I mean, th- that's what the Secret Service and the FBI and their partners that are doing this. This is what they go through every day. It's just that I don't want to make it sound lackadaisical or, 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 or that I'm laid back about it, but it's the, it's the threat, just like the, what the colonel had to do with what his job was at the White House. I mean, he might have had to run up there with those codes and, and help the president launch an attack. It's just what the job is. All right, guys, I want to thank you both. Our thoughts and prayers, and I said this many times during the Obama years, too. My thoughts and prayers, we must protect our elected officials. And what I'm reading sounds pretty scary every day. But if I win, I am going to instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation. Because there has never been so many lies, so much deception. There has never been anything like it. And we're going to have a special prosecutor. When I speak, I go out and speak. The people of this country are furious. In my opinion, the people that have been long-term workers at the FBI are furious. There has never been anything like this where emails and you get a subpoena, you get a subpoena, and after getting the subpoena, you delete 33,000 emails. And then you acid wash them or bleach them, as you would say. So we're going to get a special prosecutor, and we're going to look into it because you know what? People have been... Their lives have been destroyed for doing one-fifth of what you've done. And it's a disgrace. And honestly, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I told Senator Kane last night, if either of our sons in the military handled classified information the same way Secretary Clinton did, they'd be court-martialed. I mean, that's the hard truth of all this. And the American people are tired of it. You saw the man with a picture of the submarine. His mother goes around. She's devastated. Devastated. Took pictures of a submarine. They took the kid who wanted some pictures of the submarine. That's an old submarine. They got plenty of pictures. If the enemy wants them, they've got plenty of them. He wanted them. Took a couple of pictures. They put him in jail for a year. I saw his mother the other night on television. I'll tell you what, folks. We've never been in a situation like this. Why didn't they protect a kid who's taken a couple of pictures of a submarine that's an old submarine? And they put him in jail. They put him in jail, lovely family, lovely mother. They put him in jail because he wanted to have some remembrance of where he worked. Let's be clear. Chelsea Manning has served a tough prison sentence. Uh, So the notion that the average person who was thinking about disclosing uh, vital classified information would think that it goes unpunished, uh, I don't think would get that impression from the sentence Uh, that Chelsea Manning has served. It has been my view that given she went to trial, that due process uh, was carried out, that she took responsibility for her crime, that the sentence that she received was uh, very disproportionate relative to what uh, other leakers had received. Really? So Manning was convicted of stealing and distributing 750,000 military documents, which was published both by WikiLeaks and the New York Times and others. But Manning is the one that stole them. And that sentence was commuted. 
And then Donald Trump was talking about, of course, Christian Saucier. And he got a one-year federal prison term because he was proud that he worked in a submarine and for his own private personal use, he took six pictures inside the submarine. And by the way, other sailors had done the same thing and nothing happened to them or they got a slight slap on the wrist. And this guy is now in jail while his mother and his wife and his baby girl are waiting for daddy to get out of prison. Six pictures of a submarine. Really? Kathleen Saucier is the mother of of Christian Saucier, the U.S. Navy sailor. And Dr. Jeff uh, Atticott is the director of the Center for Terrorism Law at St. Mary's University School of Law in San Antonio. And uh, he took up Christian's case pro bono because he feels that Christian Saucier is experiencing an injustice at the hands of the U.S. military and government. Kathleen, I'm just assuming you're wishing that this at least commutation, but hopefully a pardon, was given to your own son. Absolutely, and I'm grateful that you had both of us on because um, Jeffrey has uh, supported and taken on the fight along with Ron, who you met the last time we were on, and he submitted a pardon request to the present administration, President Obama. We understand there's time constraints and things like that, but hearing this news about Chelsea uh, Manning as well as General Cartwright today, the same thing, um, I'm sure there's going to be even more today and tomorrow. It just shocks me. It disgusts me, as you said, to hear 750000 that she admitted she was wrong. She accepted responsibility. Those are all the same things that my son did. He said, okay, look, I took six photos, never transmitted them, never anything like that. And he's sitting in federal have you prison. Have you heard at all from the White House since you submitted this uh, application for a pardon? pardon? I have not personally, but I'll let Jeffrey Atticott speak. Jeffrey, has anybody heard from the White House? Now, since Obama now has commuted 1,385 sentences, more than any president in the history of the country, and has granted 212 pardons. Have you heard anything in this case? No, not yet. And we have two petitions we submitted, one for clemency and the other for pardon. And to get a pardon, of course, you have to also submit a request for a waiver. We haven't heard anything, of course, in a bureaucracy uh, you know, I didn't really expect to hear anything. Did you do you have anybody on Capitol Hill that is pleading your case for you? Well, we're reaching out to everybody, and that's why we're very grateful, Sean, to be on your show, because it's a matter of uh, putting his case on the fast track, where somebody in the Trump administration picks up the phone to the pardon attorney's office and says, you know, I want this on my desk in two weeks so I can make a determination. Uh, I was a military officer. I was the senior legal advisor to all the United States Army Special Forces, the Green Berets, 20 years in the military, so I, I know what classification is and, and what these uh, and the seriousness of these types of matters. But in this case, it's a gross injustice what happened to the sailor, and we all know the reason that it happened. He was a he was uh, you know put on the altar of political correctness because the FBI was being criticized along with the Department of Justice that they were doing nothing about Clinton's classified issues. So they held him out and they said, "Oh, really? We are concerned with classified stuff." They took this case from the Navy, who had jurisdiction. And they crucified him. Unbelievable. And Kathleen, when Donald Trump talked about that, that was the night or was the day after you had appeared on my television program. He had watched it on my show and even asked me about it at one point. And so yes. I, I don't know what Obama's going to do. And one has to wonder in these final hours if I wonder if Hillary Clinton gets some type of pardon. In other words, for remember, if you go back to Watergate and Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford for crimes committed or may have been committed, the power of the pardon is absolute. No, there is absolutely nothing you can do if you get a pardon. But I, I got to tell you, if I if you haven't heard from anybody, I would suspect that this is not on the front burner. Is there any congressman you can talk to that would 
maybe call over to the White House and ask for a look at this? Well, I can tell you when it was going down, when everything was happening, I reached out to my local congressman here in Connecticut, and no one was willing to help me at all or support. So I would imagine it would take a very courageous congressman somewhere in the United States. Well, I know who could do it. I know who we can put you in touch with. How many more favors can I ask poor Louis Gomer to do for me, Linda? But you know what? Is there any way maybe we... I mean, they hate Louis over at the White House, though, right? Is there any congressman or woman that Obama likes? Anyone that we know that would do this? What about for us? Uh, Paul Ryan? Well, he won't take my call, Mr. Speaker. Well, I mean, I'd love somebody. I mean, at the very least, maybe Marsha Blackburn. Can we ask her to do this? She would do it. Well, really, Sean, it's not a member. It's not an issue for the Congress. We've got to get to the executive branch. We no, I know, but I'm trying to get you. Trump administration. I'm trying to get somebody in Congress that could get to the executive branch for you because uh, obviously it's, your attempts are not working out too well. Well, Sean, if we get on your TV show. Donald Trump will be watching, and there we go. Well, I'm not worried about when Donald Trump gets in office. I'll ask him myself at some point, you know, right when he gets in there. But um, he's got a lot going on in those first few days. Maybe if people call Congress, I'll do this now. 202-224-3121 and respectfully ask your congressman, your congresswoman, if they'll take up the cause of Christian Saucier and ask the president if he would give this guy a pardon and remind them. In other words, if they could just make a call over to the White House and the Office of Pardons, or I don't know what to call the office, the uh, the. Do they have an office of pardoning? Yeah, it's called the Office of the Pardon Attorney. Okay, and so. If you call them, you, no one will answer the phone. I, uh, no, they, I'm saying, but, but Congress device. can get in touch with them. I mean, yes, if need can. be, they could walk over your file for crying out loud. Yes. All right, uh, we're going to pass that on. Kathleen, you're in our thoughts and prayers. We're not giving up on this issue regardless of what Obama does, okay? We will Thank continue you, to advance this. For us. Yeah, we are. I know it's hard. I'm sorry. You deserve better. You know. Thank you. You know what I tweeted out? Remember the letter the uh, FBI sent to MLK Jr. to kill himself? You see, I tweeted that out today. Amazing the comment. Oh, but of course, our intelligence is just perfect. I, you know, all right. Rhonda is in Colorado. Hey, Rhonda, how are you? Glad you called. I am great. I'm so um, excited to talk to you today. I've been trying to get in touch for years. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you got through. Welcome aboard. I know. Thank you so much. Um, thanks for all you do. Um, I think you did a great job in helping out uh, our new president to be elected. And um, actually, I got a chance to meet him in Colorado when he was here last October. Oh, awesome. And so, He's a great guy. Yeah, and I think he'll do a good job. wonderful. I, I agree. Um, I'm really concerned about you. I know you're going to go to the uh, inaugural ball, uh-huh. and you're trying to figure out what to wear. Uh-huh. And um, as crazy as the protesters can be, if you'll get your tux ruined. I think you should go in jeans. I think it's important that you go in jeans. All right. I want to go in jeans. And I, I was willing to I, I was willing to do it. Here's the problem. Do you have a boss? Yes. And and I have bosses too, right? Yes. I have been ordered to wear the tux, pants and all. And this oh. was non get this, I was told it's non negotiable. Now I said, I'm not wearing the dopey bow tie. And they said, okay, you don't have to wear a bow tie. But I was, you know, I even got a call from my boss's office telling me, you've never been to a Washington Correspondence Dinner. You will be going this year. And I said, I don't want to go. And they said, we don't care if you want to go. And I said, it's on a Saturday night. I don't have to work Saturday nights. And they get, go back and read your contract. We do what we, you t- we tell you to do. And I said, all right, we'll deal with that in April, but I'm not going. I've I never been there. I want to keep my well, perfect I'll... track record up. And they're saying, no, you've got to be there because you were the leading voice on the channel in support of the new president. And, and we want you there. They were being nice about it. But I'm like, but I don't want to go. I don't want to see Wolf Blitzer and Jake Tapper and all these media people I hate. I don't want to see them. They hate me and I hate them. Let's be honest. 
and all the people at MSNBC, I don't want to see them either. But they say Fox is throwing a huge party, and they're like, we want you to be the bartender. And then they, and guess what? And they said, and you have to wear a tux to that. I don't want to wear a tuxedo. Whoever thought of a tuxedo? What? I just want to go on record and say I think that's really stupid. What? That a bartender's going to wear a tux? Exactly. I'll just throw the jacket away and take off my tie and get rolling. Nobody Roll up my wants sleeves. to see a bartender in a pair of tux pants. Listen, I always tucked a, a rag on the side of my... My belt and I, I would fly. So I'm willing to attend bar Some for the sexy party. Stuff right there. Well, it worked at the Put time. Put a rag in my belt and I was ready to fly. Uh, it worked at what the time. What kind of drinks are you making over there? I was 17. I had a, I got pretty lucky back then in terms of making out with girls. So I was pretty good. Ooh. Well, I know I'm a fat old guy now, but I, you can't imagine you me back in the fat. day. You're Don't even go with that anorexic. false modesty. What? Don't even go with that false <laughs> modesty. I made out with a lot of girls at 17. Oh, I'm a fat so now. I mean, well, I am. My stomach is fat. I mean, I'm strong. I've never been stronger in my life. So my sensei now makes me do, he times. So you're my, like Kung Fu Panda of the radio set now. No, right? now he times my 100 push-ups. I have to do 100 push-ups every day I train. How fast can you do 100 push-ups? You couldn't even do 100 push-ups. Be honest. I bench press. I don't need to do no push-ups. Okay, you couldn't do 100 push-ups, could you? No, I said I don't want to do push-ups. I, yeah, I bet you couldn't do 50. I'll bet you $1,000 you can't do 50. You can drop down now while I'm doing this tri-sofi okay. read. $1,000, huh? You can't do, I mean, real. Down nose to the ground push ups. Yes. I can, and I will take that bet. I can do 20. You can do 20? Could you? And Linda, have you ever done one in your life? When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.